to the Bahamanian ocean pigs who taught us what true love really means. Folks, don't cross puddles for people who would not cross an ocean full of pigs for you. To the pigs. To the pigs. Cheers to that. A Bachelor franchise podcast. It's a podcast dedicated to exploring the big stories and questions that only a cultural touchstone like The Bachelor can inspire. I'm Stephanie Jackson. And I'm Josh Jackson. Grab a drink and a bingo card and join us on Cheers to That. All right, gang, we just devoured, along with our M&Ms, week five and six of the Ben Higgins season. Spent some time a little south of the border, a little love fest in Mexico City, some time in the Bahamas as well. So tonight we're going to do a special cocktail for you, a nouveau classic in the uh, cocktail canon. This is the Awaken Old Fashioned, featuring tequila and mezcal, which you saw Olivia and Ben take shots of during their group date. So check out the video with all the goodies in the show notes and uh, enjoy. Salud. I just want everyone to know that the Eminem situation has really improved. <laughs> this uh, dashing co-host of mine went to Walmart, you guys. Like, he braved Walmart. Masks and gloves and sprays and everything. And six feet of distance. And he brought back six kinds of M&Ms, including my beloved hazelnut. So he ain't no scrub. That's all I'm saying. He is, he is that white, but he, he ain't no scrub. All you Bachelor contestants out there, take note. This is what love looks like. It looks like about three pounds of M&Ms during a, a global pandemic. And we are tearing through them at an alarming rate. <laughs> yeah, so week five and six. Week five and six of the Ben Higgins season. Um, lots of ups and downs, lots of broken hearts. This is also where this other pattern emerges in the Ben Higgins arc, and that is you start to see his decisiveness come to the fore, uh, something you haven't seen recently, you know, in the Peter and Ari uh, seasons, but uh, you saw with Nick Vial for sure. Basically, if things weren't gelling, it's just time to let it go. Ben made that decision twice uh, during our viewing. If he catches things getting awkward or becoming too much work, it's like, eh, I got like 90 other chicks to date, so... uh Let's just call this quits. Yeah, you can really see that the his impressions of the women are crystallizing at this point. And it's really helpful because he can sort of pick favorites. And you need to do that at this point because we're, we're getting closer to hometowns. We're getting closer to fantasy suites, to these things that... If you don't, if you, if he's not really feeling a connection with somebody or or really feeling invested in them, they need to go. And I really appreciated his decisiveness. It was very refreshing uh, compared to, I mean, Colton. I feel like was kind of decisive, but you, you're right. Like Ari and and Peter for sure were much more wishy washy about everything. The thing about playing favorites with the contestants at this point is you can start choosing your favorites, but you can't actually act on it. As we saw what happened in the uh, Bahamanian group date, um, people started getting really pouty. Yeah, I think the problem with that date was that there was nowhere for him to go to like be off by himself with Lauren B. It was like, hey, I'm just going to go over here and like be all googly-eyed with Lauren B. And everybody just sort of like stand there among the pigs and watch us. <laughs> it was just kind of... It was inherently awkward. There was really no... Possibility for him to have any privacy, so it was it was very uncomfortable for everybody. But 
maybe we shouldn't get too ahead of ourselves. Let's do a rapid recap. A rapid recap, as they might say in Mexico City. They'd probably say it in Spanish. Recapo rapido. We're so culturally sensitive. All right, it's week five, Mexico City. Like everywhere else Bachelor takes us, it's the perfect place to fall in love. Isn't it amazing how that works out? Could be Cleveland, could be Norway. So Amanda gets the first one-on-one. And the card said that we're putting all of our eggs into a basket. So like my assumption is that I'm going to go get my eggs harvested. And like it's cool. I already have two kids. So like we're pretty good in that department. (laughs) Ben crashes the suites at 4.30 in the morning to grab his date. And we all get the extra special treat of seeing Lauren H. with her retainer on. Lots of conjecture from the peanut gallery about Amanda being a mom. Which for some reason comes as a huge shock on a show that is all about conventional heteronormativity and getting married as soon as possible. Oh, well, I'm disappointed. This date card clue was more about baskets, not eggs. I'm just saying eggs were definitely mentioned. And like, I mean, normally my breakfast is avocado toast. So I mean, like eggs are okay, but you know, like not my preference. It's group date announcement time, and Emily's Spanish is impeccable. I don't think we want to see her report card from two years ago when she took it. Back to the 101. We learned more about Amanda's past marriage, and uh, she definitely earned some sympathy points from us. Yeah, I don't have a joke for this one. It was just really sad. Poor Amanda. Ooh, this is romantic. The group date is a Spanish lesson in a grade school classroom, and Jubilee is loving it. And once again puts on display the fact that she has no idea how this show is supposed to work. You said that to the last four people, so... Newsflash Jubilee, he's been flirting with everyone this whole time. You didn't know? Ben lets us know it's important to, quote, engross yourself in the local culture when you travel. And not to be too hard on the guy, but he also says especially, which is just so terrible. There's not actually an X in that word. Back at the hotel, Amanda and Lauren H. get excited about her one-on-one. Oh my gosh, you're going to have so much fun. I know, I can't wait. I'm just so happy. Back at the group date, JoJo can't wait for the chef to, quote, taste her taco. I really wish she had said tacos, plural. It would have made it so much less awkward. Progressive life lesson of the night, quote, When you know how to cook, then you're ready to get married. Watertight logic. At the night portion of the group date, Jubilee implodes for the last time, and Ben lets her go. At the night portion of the group date, Jubilee implodes for the last time, and Ben lets her go. Uh, Jubilee says that she's unlovable. Which was Ben Higgins' line, if you recall, on Caitlyn's season. That's what he said. Olivia gets the group date rose. The injustice of it all. Yes, how dare she have fun and actually give Ben a good time on the group date. What a bee. Lauren H. gets to experience Mexico City's Fashion Week. It's pronounced fashion. Sure, we can use this inexperienced kindergarten teacher as a model tonight. Uh, you forgot your chicken mask. R-O-S-E, Rose. Olivia fits multiple feet into her mouth during the cocktail hour. Poor girl has not mastered the art of thinking before she says something, especially something like, you remind me of an episode of Teen Mom. Emily commits the cardinal sin of tattling to Ben about Olivia, and then calls to tattle to her sister Haley as well. Haley's blogging the whole thing. It's great. WordPress.com slash 
twins dish. The episode ends with Ben ushering Olivia to the other room for interrogation. And he might actually take away her rose. He might. He doesn't, but he could. Moving on to week six, Olivia wants to talk smart things. Intellectual discourse is her jam. The girls do an impeccable job of containing their disappointment when Olivia comes back from her chat, Rose still in hand. Because he could have taken it away. I mean, he didn't, but he could have. Next up, lots of beach, ocean, sand. The Bahamas. I would have been able to infer ocean when he said beach, but, you know, the more clues, the better, I guess. Chris Harrison pops by to model his super tight jeans to the girls and announces that there will be the infamous two-on-one this week. In case you were wondering why Emily and Olivia are still there. But first, Kayla gets the one-on-one and Leah goes into a tailspin. That was a great show. Remember that show with the Chip and Dale? Yeah, on a... I don't know. It was a kid's show. Yeah, with Baloo and all them. In the 90s, yeah. Yeah. Her tailspin is not that cool. She doesn't get to actually like surf behind a plane in the sky. Ben feels unlovable, and Kayla feels incapable of love. A winning combination. My favorite part was when she said, I feel like I'm going to hurt you. And he says, how? And she goes, I don't know. This is the kind of self-awareness that all great relationships are built on. On the group date, Ben is very sneaky about what the girls are actually going to be doing. Yeah, the date card said love is unpredictable. I really feel like he could have leaned into some pig metaphors instead. Like... I want to hog all of your attention today, or get ready to ham it up on this date. Seriously, pearls before swine. Huh? Zing zing. I was going to say, let's celebrate JFK's biggest political controversy. I'm not sure that any of them know who JFK was, but but that would have worked. Happy pigs can't keep Leah from melting down. She's so frazzled at this point, she decides to do the unthinkable. Tattle to Ben about his obvious favorite, Lauren B. Yeah, when has this strategy ever worked? It has never worked. Wow, she's on a roll. After denying her tattling to the other girls, she actually sneaks back to Ben's suite to tattle some more. And this is when we see more of that famous Ben Higgins decisiveness in action when he sends her home. You don't tattle on the favorite, girl. Bachelor Basics 101. Time for the two-on-one. Emily and Olivia will fight to the death. On a volcanic island in the middle of a torrential sea. The girls make their case before the Higgins Tribunal. Ben takes Olivia aside, rose in hand. After much build-up leading us to think he's giving the rose to her, he flips on a dime and the Olivia arc comes to a close. I was just struck by how far away from Emily they walked. I mean, it's like four shots of them walking and then still walking and then still walking. And he's just, you know, getting as far away from Emily as possible with the rose in his hand, but then he just leaves her there. I did feel sorry for Olivia and sort of weirdly enjoy watching her beautifully cry as she looked off into the distance as they left on the boat. She's a really pretty crier. That's kind of a weird compliment, but I wouldn't have expected that. Uh Uh-oh, no cocktail party before the rose ceremony. It must be because Ben is very assured and decisive. Or because he has a parasite and he's not feeling well. They really, really disguise this. But I'm serious. Look it up. Ben Higgins' Parasite. It was the thing. And that is the recap of week five and six. Uh, We got about three hours of show in about 10 minutes. So 
We just saved you some time. Let's dive into some deeper, more provocative questions that these two episodes have inspired. So first off, we got to um, give Ben kudos for creating that culinary spinoff of the show, uh, Spatular. I would totally watch that spinoff. Uh, much more interesting to me than you know, Listen to Your Heart, for example. Yeah, or whatever JoJo and Jordan have going on with like being the new Chip and Joanna Gaines and redoing houses. If I sound like my mouth is full, it's because I'm eating the fudge brownie M&Ms. Very, very good. They're only seasonally available, so uh, run to your nearest Walmart, uh, gloves and mask in hand, and uh, get on that. So a few observations I had from this viewing. The running theme in these two episodes is you start to see like these weird strategic choices, and this is where the show turns into almost like a game of Survivor, where you are running multiple strategies at the same time. Like You have to be nice to everyone. You have to get as much time as you can with the lead. You have to still be interesting enough where the producers won't forget about you. And so sometimes these desires are kind of, they're contrary to each other. Like being nice to the other contestants means sacrificing time with the lead, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, You see this with Olivia. You see this with Leah and Kayla. And of course you, you see the the classic blunder that every single season has, and that is tattling to the lead, spending the five minutes you have with the guy or with the girl talking about someone else. I've only seen wearing a silly mask work once um, with JoJo ever. I've never seen tattling work ever in the show, but everyone does it every single season I watch, and it's really baffling. Yeah, the only way that it, maybe works is to plant a seed of doubt in the lead's mind. I'm just thinking about Bachelor in Paradise when Haley and Emily tearfully confront Amanda um, because she is head over heels for the pizza munching D-bag Josh. Mm-hmm. And they're like, he's not, his intentions aren't right for you. And he's, you know, basically here for the wrong reasons is what they're saying without saying it, without using those time-honored words. And you know, they did ultimately break up after getting engaged, but still maybe that did a little bit of good. But even in that case, that was a friend warning another friend about a relationship, not a contestant who is trying to make a good impression on the lead. I mean, ostensibly, right? <laughs> like um, going and like you're saying, uh, doing some character assassination. It just doesn't make you look good as mm-hmm. as a contestant, um, as a person who is yeah, trustworthy or positive or here for the right reasons, if we want to use that language. One of the things I caught that Olivia said this episode was, I don't care about other people's relationships with Ben. I care about my relationship with Ben. And I was like, that's actually really great. Of course, they played the sinister, she's crazy and manipulative music behind it just to try to like shoehorn in some drama. But I was like, I I really appreciate that she said that because, you know, it, it would it wouldn't make sense for her to be there if what she was more interested in was what how everybody else was getting along with him. You saw that in Peter's season with Tammy. It was like, she obviously really didn't have a very good relationship with Peter because she was so obsessed with how everybody else was coming across and interacting with him and, and that sort of thing instead of just mm-hmm. staying in her lane and focusing on it. Yeah, the only time I can see tattling making sense as a behavior is if you really know, yeah, it's not going to work out with me in the lead. So at least while I'm still here, I can help, you know, protect him in some way or help 
tamp down someone in the house I know shouldn't be with him. Like that's, it's basically like admitting defeat at that point. You do bring up a, a good point with Olivia saying, I don't care about other people in the house. I care about Ben. It's such a weird position to put yourself in because when I watch the show, I go, yeah, you're right. You're not there to make sure that some guy you like keeps dating other women. You want to lock that down. So like, how does one go about that? Like, how does one go about like, like the girls this season are so obsessed with making sure everyone gets their fair time allotment with the lead. And it's like, look, if you're trying to marry the guy, like, why would you care? It's, it's this weird kind of counterbalance of like, everyone be fair, everyone be nice for each other. But also, I want this guy to marry me. So like, how do you actually strike that balance? Yeah, I actually really understand why Olivia gets in so much hot water because she steals him away when other people haven't talked to him or whatever. And yeah, that's maybe a little bit rude, especially in the times when she already has a rose. Like, that's not a great look because she already has that assurance and that peace of mind that like she's sticking around and she will have more time with him. But I do totally understand being like, hey, I want as much time as I can possibly get. And if nobody else is going to step up, I will. And definitely, it, it definitely costs you points diplomatically with the rest of the cast. But if they tattle on you, it ends up blowing up in their face. So it's just really tough. Like, do you, like, what? what is the primary goal here? Is it to marry the lead? Is it to have the best edit you possibly can? Is it to have as much fun as you possibly can, which means taking into consideration the people you're stuck with 90% of the time? It feels like all three of these things are incompatible with each other. And the worst thing is, if you actually do your best to have fun with everyone, someone's going to say, oh, she's not here for the right reasons. You're kind of screwed no matter what you do. Yeah. And I was thinking about it. The amount of patience that is expected of these women is kind of mind boggling. Because you think about somebody like Kayla, who had a one-on-one date. And yes, Leah loses her mind when Kayla gets another one-on-one date. But Kayla has had a really long time since her one-on-one date. She's just been sitting around and not really getting a lot of time with or attention from Ben. So she's just expected to sort of sit around and be nice and play along. And just because she's not being proactive and quote unquote aggressive like Olivia and taking that time doesn't mean that it's not hard. I mean, I think that's why she broke down and did her sneakers on a gym floor crying thing that one day. Right. Because it's just got to really mess with your head to be like, okay, I know he likes me because we had this really great date, but that was forever ago. And so they just have to be patient with this weird, weird thing of, I'm sure Ben wants to be fair and give everybody time with him and be equitable and explore the options in a respectful way. But there's also still quite a few of them and you would start to really feel overlooked and forgotten. I mean, that's what happened with Jubilee. She was just like, do you even see me anymore? Um, Because there's just so much downtime for so many people because they're all vying for the attention of one person. It's really, really an impossible scenario. Yeah, so if you don't play along the way you're supposed to, you either end up like Jubilee, or another example would be Kelly in Peter's season. Uh, She ends up getting a bad edit and doesn't even get invited to the women tell all. I mean, of course, off screen and on Instagram, she seems to be quote-unquote winning, but during the run of the show, like there's this kind of vindictive stab from the producers, you can tell, 
by not even letting her be on the on the on the reunion show. And speaking of Peter's season, I thought of Hannah Ann because she received the first impression rose and was having a lot of positive interactions with Peter early on. And then she just kind of fades for several episodes while they produce, you know, good TV with all this conflict. And she just sort of shrinks into the background. That's, again, having to be patient and just go like, okay, I'm just going to trust that I'll get my time. If we really did have this good connection or this positive relationship, then I will have time. But I mean, it would it would drive you crazy to be in that situation. The format of the show creates all kinds of problems. When you think about it, one thing that really struck me was when Jennifer was sent home, she you know said in an ITM how like she needed more time to kind of loosen up and, and open up and let herself be known by him. And it makes me think, okay, she is not a bad person for taking a little bit longer to warm up. She's probably a little more of a, a private person, more of a quiet person. And it, it made me think of this. It made me think, okay, different personalities and different temperaments are going to a- adapt to different kinds of environments at a different pace. And this show definitely seems to reward a certain kind of person. So if the producers cast, say, 30 women, and there are a, a varying range of personality types, the ones that are going to kind of dominate are the ones, or the ones that are going to make the biggest splash are the ones who are going to be very bubbly and wooey and effervescent very early on. And they will, by default, overshadow the ones that aren't very you know competitive or very uber-expressive. What if, in real life... You know, putting on my armchair psychologist hat here. Armchair psychologist. What if in real life that lead needs someone as a partner who is more mellow, more grounded, takes a while to warm up? And because of the medium itself, because of the format of the show, he's being denied that opportunity. Like, I wonder if that's actually part of why so many male leads don't end up with the people they propose to on the show. That's a really good point. And I hadn't thought about that before, but I think you're right. I mean, when they get contestants for this show, they call it casting because that's what it is. They're casting a TV show. They're casting characters to play certain types. And so you are inevitably going to get certain types to produce the kind of TV they want to produce. And so that's how you run into these situations like with Peter Weber with a handful of women who are all wrong for him or with Ari and he ends up being sort of coerced into proposing to Becca who is very very appealing on camera very interpersonally warm and energetic and a good conversationalist and is holds her own really well versus Lauren who I'm sure is a fine person but just reads like a piece of toast on camera. I mean, there's just not (laughs) much there that she's putting out for good TV purposes. But obviously, they're happy together. And so, yeah, the the formula did not result in the right person for him as much as it resulted in the right person for good TV. And that's that's why... If you're going to be the lead, you're going to have to really be self-aware and really pay attention to what kind of people are really good for you, not just what is holding your attention right now, because what's holding your attention right now is going to change every five minutes. And likewise, if you're if you're giving it kind of a gamesmanship strategy as a contestant, whether male or female, who isn't very flashy or wooey up front, 
I think the strategy you have to play, and this is me being very Machiavellian here, is you have to kind of play on being like alluring and subtle and mysterious. Like, ooh, what does she have, you know, behind the veil there? Like Lauren B. She's actually very, very intriguing. A little bit like that too, but to varying degrees of success was Natasha on Peter's season. He's, she said outright, like she gives off that she has quite a lot of personality, but she doesn't give off a lot of knowledge about herself right off the bat. He has to kind of earn it a little bit. Well, and she doesn't give off approval instantly either. And I think right. that's what he was sensing. And that's probably why she lasted as long as she did in that season. We talk a lot about Peter's seasons on, on Ben's season, but oh well. We're we're still processing it, I guess. I mean, it's the comparison is is right there. So and another thing I wanted to say too is one of the things that they're looking for throughout this process is for people to express unmitigated, unshakable, enthusiastic confidence in the relationship. Right. Which is absurd, but the people who last often are the people who are like, yes, I have no doubt. I am, I am in this. I am here for it. I am, I see us and our future and I am falling in love with you. And it's scary. They always have to say it's scary. I don't know why it's scary, mm-hmm. but maybe because they're afraid of swimming pigs. I don't know. <laughs> but they have to have this like rock solid verbalized confidence. And which is honestly why it was kind of surprising to me rewatching this to see Kayla verbalize all this like, I just don't know. And I'm not sure because I feel like on anybody else this season, that would get her eliminated. And I feel like it almost did. Um, I mean, Ben said, like, I don't know if we can move forward because she's just not really sure. But I think that he is mature enough and trusts her enough. And, you know, they they communicate well enough to get past that, obviously, because she sticks around. But most of the time, it's like, if you are not affirming me with like these assurances that you are 100% confident about us having a perfect rock solid love story for the rest of time, even though I'm dating 25 other people at this point, then you're gone. And that is not necessarily a lasting proposition either. I think it's very normal to have some doubts, especially when you're one of many who are vying for the same goal. I wish there was some like really academic, deep study done to explain why the female leads have more long-term success than the male leads. I'm really curious if it's if it has to do with um, their temperament or the casting choices or whatever else, because it's the the contrast is pretty stark. Yeah, and it seems like usually the female leads are very strong and very decisive, and they go with men who are pretty chill and are able to just weather all the conflicts going on around them to not really engage with them a whole lot and just sort of like provide steadfast positive attention toward the lead and kind of instill those assurances in her until the very end and they just kind of keep that connection private in a way. I think that the male leads may be, I'm generalizing here, but that's what we do. the male leads i think compartmentalize a little bit more and they're able to sort of have like you know well these days i'm in love with this person and these days i'm in love with this person i don't mean to say that to like make them sound crass or you know but it's just the way they operate is more based on comparison of these like discrete different relationships versus the female leads have all this like 
footage of them crying and feeling conflicted and not knowing what to do, but they really do know what to do. They're conflicted and, and crying because they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings mm-hmm. most of the time. Right. It's not because they don't know who they want to pick. That's a good point. So before we wrap up, we got to talk about the elephant in the room, and that is the Olivia edit. We've, we've now seen everything, everything excluding the women tell all reunion. We have seen the Olivia arc come and go. One thing that you pointed out as we watched throughout the entire season so far is everything Olivia says that has a villainous background theme going on behind it. You could just as easily put a like wacky circus or a triumphant theme as well. Like she could say like, he's mine. I feel confident. And you can have like the kind of the soaring, da, da, da. You, it, it, could, it could be whatever you want it to be. And the, the producers just flat out decided like she's the villain because she's way too confident. She, she hogs her time with him. The other girls find her uncomfortable at times or maybe just overconfident. I don't know. And it is really frustrating because we have, we've had real villains. We've had Chad. We've had Luke P. You can even argue Corinne is a good villain and they actually do villainous things. She just had kind of a, a loud, overconfident, effusive personality and just wasn't there to make everyone else like her. And that's really all it boils down to. So when you have like this like, you know, shot down in flames, crying while abandoned on a deserted island while the lead zooms off in a boat. Like, it's like really brutal because like, wouldn't you love to see Luke P in that situation, but not not her? Yeah, I, I really felt for her in that moment because not only, like I said, she's a very pretty crier. And so you're just sort of like, oh, you just, it's so sad. But also it's this weird schadenfreude thing where like, we're supposed to delight in her defeat. Right. You know, like, I mean, in Jojo season, when they get rid of Chad, they like sprinkle his protein powder in the woods and like say like, ding dong, the witch is dead. And like, and and it's legitimately funny because he was legitimately aggressive and scary and yeah, very disturbing in his conduct. Olivia wasn't disturbing in her conduct. She was just kind of tone deaf, maybe. Yeah. Or it's a little... Well-meaning but insensitive. Like, I mean, the 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 best example would be the the teen mom comment. It's like I don't think she actually meant like, "Wow, you're so white trash." You know, I think she or meant- like you're a teen mom. I think she meant. I saw an episode of Teen Mom where they had to drop off the kid at the dad's house, and you saying that you had to drop your kids off at their dad's house reminded me of that episode. Yeah, because teen moms, like other single moms, have to have confrontations with the other parent about like who has the kids what we can and whatnot that's probably just where she saw that yeah and she was so shaken when the women took offense so hard on that and she just was like i i I don't know i like her voice was breaking she's like i'm just trying i'm trying to do better i'm trying to learn i was like man poor girl she can't get a break yeah and it was it was so quickly edited like you know you missed about 75 percent of that conversation and then the most you hear about it was all the comments emily made about it and i think what that was really was at this point, the girls are just kind of like in their corner going, okay, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. And they're basically like just reinforcing this this narrative about who Olivia is. So one little mistake she makes is like blown way out of proportion. Like, like you have this preconceived belief that she is rude and insensitive. Then she makes kind of a dumb tone deaf comment. And it's like, there you go. Like she is, she's pure evil. Yeah, it's just further proof that she's a terrible person. And it's like, y'all just... 
settle down. And so I was a little bit disturbed by the fact that we were supposed to enjoy her like not getting the rose. We're supposed to enjoy this image of her being just shut down and abandoned. It was just, a, it was really, it was really cold. I'm glad that we are getting further into the season and to these really good episodes and really getting to know these people better. I, I did notice too that we actually really get a good sense of the personalities in this season and like the background and, and, and who these people are is so different than Peter's season. Once again, comparing uh, to our most recent Bachelor but I felt like I didn't know anybody other than maybe Madison after Peter's season. I'm like, who are these people? Like even Hannah Ann. Mm-hmm. Um, like I felt like I didn't know who anybody was. And I, I really feel like I have a good sense of a lot of these people. And so it's it's a lot more satisfying as a viewer. Yeah, that is the most fun is watching all these personalities interact uh, and discovering who the next crop will be next time. And who will show up on Paradise because... Most of them do. Uh, assuming we ever get paradise again, because we're all in purgatory right now. This is the bad place. What a great show. R.I.P. the good place. So that's all we got this time around. We're going to pick up with episode seven and eight. We'll talk to you guys next week. Um, in the meantime, guys, stay calm, stay safe. Uh, always be be quick to reach out for help if you need someone to talk to. Uh, think long term. We will get out of this soon. We're here for you. If you guys are enjoying these rewatch bonus seasons we're doing and want another one, uh, please comment in the show notes or on Instagram uh, and we'll put it in the queue. Yeah, let us know which bachelors or bachelorettes we should spend $15 on Amazon to buy their season and rewatch. We have never seen Sean Lowe's season, so I would be really interested in that. And we've never seen Emily Maynard's season. So those are two that are really intriguing to me. But if you have an idea and want to share it, please let us know. We would love to rewatch with you and take your suggestions to heart. And as always, if you're appreciating the show, please leave a comment on iTunes uh, and share with your friends. We really appreciate the support. Uh, Thank you for sticking it out with us. We'll party with you guys again soon. Cheers.